So open up your Bibles, turn on your devices and find Colossians chapter two. And that's where we're at at the moment. What we've covered to this point is uh, that Paul starts the letter with some massive encouragement around the person and the work of Jesus. He spends time highlighting just how incredible Jesus is. He's been talking about uh, what his death and resurrection has meant for us as believers, just uh, how superior Jesus is to everything uh, in this created world. Jesus is supreme in all things. He is our Savior, and, and we can't deny the truth and the reality of the work and power of Jesus. But then he, he uh, has a shift, and, and, and this is the important thing, is when you know truth, and you've come to understand the truth. That truth has an outworking in our lives. So you come across a bottle that says poison. Do you drink it? And the answer is no. You see a chair with a sign that says broken, don't sit. You don't sit in it. When you uh, understand the truth, you act accordingly to that truth. And this is some of what Paul is doing at this point in the letter. Understanding the truth and the reality and the power of Jesus, that should have an outworking in the way that we live and engage with our world. And this church finds itself in a unique time and in a cultural setting with some issues and challenges uh, that they have and face as a church. And so Paul is helping them understand, how do I take the truth and the reality of Jesus and how do I live that out in my life and the culture that I find myself in? So that's why over the last few weeks, we started with talking about what we eat and what we drink. There's a practical outworking to our faith and the truth that we have in Jesus. And then last week was all around kind of celebrating holidays and, and things like Easter and Halloween and Christmas. What is the truth of Jesus and the worship of Jesus? How does it work itself out in, in some of the cultural things that we experience? And in this little section where Paul is dealing with some of the things that this church is kind of grappling with, we find the next bit that we're going to dig into tonight. So taking the reality and the truth of Jesus and applying it and shifting it into how we practically live our life and engage with some of the things going around us in our culture. And so if you find Colossians chapter two, verse 18, and we're gonna read 18, deal with some of it and then uh, close off with verse 19 tonight. And so this is one of the issues that they are dealing with that Paul speaks into with the truth of Jesus says this, do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. Uh, they are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. So we know uh, this is an interesting cultural mix in this town that Paul is writing this letter to. And uh, there were many different things and behaviors. This was a Greco-Roman culture. And they had philosophers uh, that had this kind of Gnostic uh, worship and religion. They would work themselves up into a, a physical state where they believed that they then got into worshiping with angels. And uh, angels would speak to them. They would see visions uh, from these angels, and when they kind of came down uh, from these states, they would then discuss at length what these visions meant and would talk to people about these visions that they had with angels. And now when you've got a church who comes 
out of that Greco-Roman culture, uh, this church that Paul's in writing to, they would have uh, come to faith in Jesus, left some of those practices, but then also joining into a church that had uh, Jews who came to faith in Christianity, had the Old Testament, and we're going to cover some of that tonight, who also uh, had an understanding of angels, and uh, had to kind of figure out, well, what is the right way for me to kind of think about uh, some of the spiritual things that exist in this world? What is the kind of right way for me to frame my thinking around uh, things like angels? And and, and what is the correct way uh, to engage with them? Because here Paul is warning them. Don't let the worship of angels disqualify you. Kind of stay away from these guys who, who kind of have this false humility, uh, but being puffed up by their kind of notions and their unspiritual mind, kind of giving a, a good warning. And so what I want us to cover tonight is what is a good biblical framework uh, for something like angels? And this is what's so great. Uh, because we don't always get to cover some things like this. And this might be a familiar uh, topic for you or an unfamiliar one. But when we go through Scripture like this, we get to touch on things that we don't normally uh, get to. Because what often happens is uh, someone might pop up, which happens every uh, few years, uh, a book, Heaven is So Real. Or uh, somebody got visited by an angel and so they've got a message from them. If you think of pop culture, uh, this comes up from time to time. Uh, I did a search on movies uh, that have angels as a theme, at least 60 Hollywood movies with angels as a key theme. Uh, My favorite being uh, City of Angels. You might remember it if you're uh, kind of my age, uh, Nicolas Cage, uh, an angel leaves heaven because he falls in love with Meg Ryan, as so many of us did at one stage ourselves. (laughs) Think of Robbie Williams, uh, I'm Loving Angels instead. Uh, Currently, there's some shows on Netflix that deal uh, with spiritual beings, angels, uh, and the demonic. Some people, uh, this is a really taboo topic, kind of superstitious. Some people find it laughable that we think about angels, and we are going to talk about uh, guardian angels uh, a bit tonight. If you think of some uh, major world religions, If you think of Mormonism, uh, Mormonism started because a guy by the name of Joseph Smith uh, believed to have been visited by an angel by the name of Moroni, uh, who told him where a secret set of glasses were hidden uh, that allowed him to read uh, a true ancient text. And uh, that's how uh, the Mormon uh, movement started. And if you think of Islam, Uh, Muhammad visited by the angel Gabriel and given the Quran, and that's how Islam started. So angels, spiritual beings do play a role. Some cultures uh, far more than than others, but every now and again, kind of stuff cycles where we need to deal with this, and maybe not just angels, but kind of spiritualism. Uh, recently hanging out with some guys from America last week, and uh, they were talking about the issues that they're facing uh, as churches where uh, the rise of paganism as a religion, uh, spiritualism, worshiping uh, other things and other beings and uh, meditation and yoga and, 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 and spiritual enlightenment, things like that that they're really wrestling with. And so it is important for us to have a good framework on how do we have the right understanding of what Paul is talking about here, angels. 
All right, so Wayne Grudem, uh, he is a theologian, uh, has written some good books. He gives this definition, and I like it. Uh, here it is. Angels are created spiritual beings with moral judgments and high intelligence, uh, but without physical bodies. And so uh, with that in mind, I want to take us uh, fairly quickly, uh, just a few snapshots of uh, some uh, of the uh, truth that the Bible gives us about angels. Now, I'm not going to go into everything. I can't. And uh, there's just too much, uh, but it will be good for you to kind of dig into some of this yourself. Uh, here's the first one. Nehemiah 9 verse 6 speaks it, about it like this. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, all and all their starry host, the earth and all that's in it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything and the multitudes of heaven worship you. So here we go. Uh, God creates. Uh, he creates everything. Uh, he creates everything with, uh, that has life. And in that is humans. And then there are spiritual beings. Uh, they go by a number of names. There's angels. And uh, they have a host of names in Scripture, principalities, powers. Uh, even in this one, the phrase starry host. But God creates them. And there are other things, other spiritual beings created by God. Scripture says that they can exercise moral judgments. Here are two verses, 2 Peter 2, 4. For uh, if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgments. Then Jude 6, and the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, uh, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgments on the great day. So there we have an encounter where they can exercise judgment. I love this encounter in Acts chapter 12. It's not going to come up on the screen. Uh, the context is the church is experiencing persecution. Uh, Peter, one of the disciples, now a church leader, is in prison. The church is praying fervently for his release. And, and I love what it says. You can uh, read up about it later, but it's just an incredible encounter. Uh, he's in chains. He's surrounded by some guards. Uh, there's guards outside the door and an angel appears in the cell. It says that the angel strikes him to wake him up and uh, the chains fall off him. The angel talks to him. He says, get your cloak, put your shoes on, wrap yourself up, follow me. And uh, past the first set of guards, past the second set of guards, uh, they get to uh, the gate and the gate just miraculously opens and the angel leads him out of prison. And we see some of the work uh, that angels were doing uh, in the New Testament, an incredible uh, story. There are different uh, types of angels that Scripture mentions. Uh, the word cherubim, if you've ever heard it, uh, we see that in when Adam and Eve are at the garden, the angel, uh, God puts a cherubim to protect Garden of Eden. They're on the Ark of the Covenant where God meets with His people. Uh, Isaiah in the Old Testament mentions one in Isaiah 6, a seraphim. Uh, their only purpose is to spend their time declaring God's praise, singing the song, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. I love uh, the description of a, another set of created beings called the living creatures, which are found in Revelation chapter four, verses six to eight. And here's the description of them. Also in the front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, they were covered eyes. They were covered with eyes in the front and in the back. The first living creature was a lion. The second was like an ox. 
The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings with eyes uh, covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. And day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. I love that description, seeing some of uh, what is there. I was asked the question, well, uh, do we have guardian angels? Uh, you might have grown up and heard that, and maybe it was your granny uh, who saw you fall and you didn't get hurt and said to you, sure, you must have a guardian angel. And uh, it's an interesting thing. Well, here's some few interesting verses that maybe speak to this. I love this one from Matthew 18.10. Jesus uh, talking to the disciples. He says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Very interesting. In Acts chapter 12, that story about Peter that I mentioned. He eventually walks out the prison. He gets to the house where the church is praying for him. He knocks on the door. Uh, a young girl sees it's him, goes to everybody, say, hey, Peter's at the door. And they go, can't be him. And if you read uh, Acts chapter 12, verse 15, look it up. It says that they go, it must be his angel. And so there is this uh, thinking, and, and, and we see in, 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 uh, in, in Scripture that there was a real uh, value and interaction with angels. Uh, Jesus, at the end of his fasting in Matthew 4, if you read the end of that chapter, it says, and the angels came to attend to him. Some really interesting things. Daniel had uh, his encounter with the lions, and an angel shut the mouth of the lion while he was in the den for the night. So uh, do we have a guardian angel? Uh, I think I'd frame it like this. Uh, if any of you know NFL and the sport in NFL, uh, they talk about man-on-man -man defense and zone defense. And I think it works like this. God has uh, his angels, and we'll read a scripture a little bit later, talks about them as ministering spirits. I think they're there uh, to protect us, but I think it's kind of like a zone defense and not a one-on-one -on -one kind of a thing. So there's a bit of a snapshot as to um, angels. Right now we get to uh, verse 19 of Acts, uh, of uh, Colossians. Uh, there's the framework on angels. Uh, Paul saying, don't be disqualified by the worship of angels and being caught up in people uh, who, uh, who spend too much time with this kind of thing. And now he goes and he explains why, and we'll use that context of angels to help us unpack that. So verse 19, for they have lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Right? They have lost connection with the head. So this is what he's going and saying. It's going like, guys, don't get caught up in the worship of angels because you're missing the point completely. Why would you want to worship angels and worship with angels when you've got Jesus? And here's an important thing, and it's good to evaluate. Because what's going to happen is we're always going to be exposed to different kinds of teaching. With how the world and communication is so accessible, books are going to come out like heaven is so real. 
We're going to be handed some literature that sounds appealing. We're going to be encouraged by people to think about certain things, and we're going to hear teachings. And, and how do we evaluate whether something is right or wrong? And I think Paul gives us something really important here. And really, at the heart of it is, how do we understand and, and think about Jesus? Because here these guys are going, hey, let's hear what angels have to say. Paul's going, but wait a second, what about Jesus? What about the head? Anybody who is worshiping angels and kind of listening to what they have to say is lost connection with the head of Jesus. And this is important. How do you know and to evaluate if something is right or wrong or true or false? Here's a really good diagnostic. How much do they make of Jesus? You want to evaluate whether something is true and is it helpful for me to engage in this teaching or listen to this preacher? How do they talk about Jesus? And this is a question that I want to pose to you. What do you think about Jesus? Because you might not worship angels, but maybe you go, oh, Jesus, uh, your guardian angel, I need your help today, or my guardian angel, or maybe it's uh, dream catchers, or maybe it's crystal stones, or maybe you, you read your horoscope in the U magazine, or maybe you've got an app that kind of gives you what, what your daily forecast is, and, and you're kind of putting your hope into that. You love Jesus, you engage with church, but you kind of have this kind of sideways thing where you're going, oh, I love Jesus, but, uh, you, you know, um, Maybe you're into sports and it's a lucky number. You've got some superstitions. You've, you've got something that you take with you. You know, as people, we kind of get caught up in, in some of these things. And it's really important for us to evaluate. What role does Jesus play in my life? Is my faith and trust rooted solely in the finished work of Jesus? Or is my hope sometimes rooted in other things? Do I, do I talk about Jesus, but if I really evaluate my faith is in other things? That my hope is in, in, in some other behaviors or practices or, or things that I do? Or am I so secure that my only hope and the only thing that I need in this world is to know that my faith is secure because my Savior Jesus uh, defeated my greatest enemies, sin and death. Not just that, He's so powerful that He walked out of the grave Himself, raised Himself from the dead. He's now ascended to the right hand of the Father. Why do I need anything else in this world when I have Jesus? Paul talks about him as the head. The whole time in this uh, book of Colossians, he's been talking about how superior Jesus is to everything. And it's important for us to think about that because we can get caught up in other things. You know, because people go, oh, you know, I heard a prophetic word. Somebody spoke this over my life. And, and, and then you put your hope in that. Nothing wrong with the gift of prophecy. We value that here at this church. But what you're doing is you're valuing the words over the one who gave the words. And we have this uh, tendency to maybe get caught up in these things and take our eyes off of the head, get disconnected from the head. And so that's when we start to lose our way. That's why Paul says, don't be disqualified by people who worship these kinds of things. We can get caught up in some of these false teachings because we're taking our eyes off of the head Jesus, the one who is superior to everything, the one who has victory over all things, our Savior. Here's what uh, the writer of Hebrews goes on to say when talking about angels and Jesus. I love this. Just uh, listen to these words. Hebrews chapter one from verse five. For, which, uh, for to which of the angels does God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. 
And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. And you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your, your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment and you will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they'll be changed, but you remain the same. Your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? If we are not worshiping Jesus, we are worshiping things created by Jesus. And this is an important thing for us to evaluate. When you're thinking about uh, spiritual forces and, and things like angels, uh, the thing that we need to evaluate is how do I view Jesus? Is he the head of all things? And is he who I trust above all other things? And is my hope in him and him alone? Do I trust him or do I trust other things? Do I listen to other things and, and find my source of joy there? Or is it solely rooted in the finished, completed work of Jesus? So again, I love this, what it says in 1 Peter 1 verse 12. Again, it just speaks so much into this. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke about the grace that has come to you searched intently and with great care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. And when they spoke of these things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And I love this last bit of 1 Peter 1 verse 12. Even angels long to look into these things. That is uh, the magnificence of Jesus. That is uh, the joy of Jesus. That even angels long to look into the mystery of the coming Messiah who would make all things right and restoring us to God. Isn't that just incredible? With that being said, first thing around this and the right way to think about this is where is your hope? Where is your trust? Where is your joy? How do you view Jesus? Is he the head of all things in your life? And this is a big deal for us at Riverside is making sure that we never lose focus of the role of Jesus in the gospel that is central to everything that we do. Paul's talking about the worship of angels. This is the joy for us as a church is that we partake in the worship with angels. And what I mean by that is when you see the description of uh, the behavior of angels is that uh, some of the angels creators, their sole purpose is to sing songs of worship to Jesus. That nonstop, they are before the throne going, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. That is uh, the focus and the sole responsibility of the hosts uh, of angels, the choirs of heaven. We see when Jesus is born, uh, what happens in the story. We know it at Christmas time. We talk about it every year. Shepherds are out in the fields and what happens? 
The sky just fills uh, with choirs of angels. And what are they doing? They're worshiping Jesus. I love this idea of uh, an anthem of praise. Uh, you go to a national sporting event and what happens? Everybody grips their hearts before the start of the game and everybody in unison sings the anthem. What a stirring moment. Everybody's singing the same thing. This evening, when we uh, started to sing praises to Jesus, we joined into a song that was already taking place. The song of worship to the one who is worthy. A song that has been going on for eternity and will continue for all eternity. We don't worship angels, we worship with angels, worshiping the one who alone is worthy, the one who deserves praise and is worthy of all praise. Isn't that just incredible? And it's so amazing to know that. We get excited at the idea of angels. We get excited, wow, archangels, you know, the archangel Michael, who's the uh, host of the, uh, the command of the Lord's armies, all these different things and, and incredible. I, I mean, I, I enjoy, um, I have a big imagination. So uh, some of the stuff does excite me. But as exciting as that is, knowing that there's a seen world and an unseen world, that that unseen world, soul, uh, joy, and focus is Jesus. And we get to join in with that. How incredible. Shifts our thinking around worship. Because again, it's the head, Jesus, who's above all things. And we get to worship him. Paul, in another letter, gives an interesting warning in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 8. It says this. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one preached to you, let them be under God's curse. And so when it comes to uh, angels, uh, we need to be aware that we can be uh, deceived by uh, different things. Uh, somebody asked me this morning, it was really interesting. Because I mentioned the angel Gabriel that came to uh, Muhammad and this angel Moroni that came to Joseph Smith that started the Mormon um, movement, he said, Craig, were those real angels? And I said to him, if you had to uh, interview Muhammad and interview Joseph Smith, they would probably tell you that they had a very real encounter with something that they believe was an angel. And quite possible, as Paul's writing, could have been an angel come to deceive them with some false truths. You can think on that for a little bit. But here he says, if we preach, or an angel from heaven preach something to you other than what we have already preached. Now it's important for us that when we hear false things or we're unsure of something, that we know how to weigh it up and test whether something is true or false. If we are being deceived by someone or, or not. Bank uh, tellers, they have uh, this discipline where they've got to figure out whether or not money is counterfeit or not. And uh, the way that they figure out counterfeit money, I don't know if you know this, is when uh, you want to know if something's counterfeit or not, you don't uh, study uh, the counterfeit money, you study the original. And uh, what tellers do and, and people who work in banks is they spend an incredible amount of time uh, studying the authentic currency and the authentic banknotes. So they know that original uh, so well. They know the true one so well that as soon as they see something, they go, that's not true. That's a counterfeit. And uh, this is really important for us 
is that uh, what God has given us is he's given us something for us to know whether something is true or false, uh, to discern whether somebody is teaching us something true or false. And that's this incredible thing called his revealed word to us. And uh, I shared this this morning and I'm, I'm gonna share it again tonight. But we've got this incredible role to play in uh, the next generation. So um, there are stats that have been uh, proven as to uh, who has led uh, children to the Lord. And if you're under the age of 18 and you came to faith in Jesus, it was probably because of your mom as ranked number one, influence to people coming to faith. Number two is granny. Number three uh, is auntie. And uh, so if you are a lady in this room, uh, you have a significant role. And, and I'll do this. Uh, number four is teachers. And number five is a youth leader. Uh, as a pastor, I rank at number eight. Uh, and dad at number nine. Can you believe it? And uh, so not discrediting men in the room or pastors, but uh, women and women teachers uh, and women youth leaders seem to have the biggest impact on teaching people. Uh, about the truths of God. And so it's so important for us. And I want to encourage you guys. Uh, God has given us some incredible things to know truth and to discern between right and wrong and to help other people do the same. And I want to make a big plug for why we're studying the book of Colossians and doing uh, what we're doing at the moment is so that we can know what is true. And that truth can impact on our lives and shift the way we live our lives and shift the way we engage with culture around us so that we can have a big impact on people around us and, and especially the next generation. I wanna end with one last verse. Again, just to kind of wrap this all up. 1 Timothy 2 verse 5 says this, there is uh, one God and one mediator between God and man, mankind, the man Jesus Christ. If you can worship anything, Worship the one who is worthy, Jesus. All of creation sings his praise and it's our response to join in and do the same. Worshiping anything else is worshiping something created and is going to lead us astray because we're taking our eyes off um, of the head, Jesus. And we need to know what is true and God has given us everything we need to discern that and to know what is true and to discern uh, what is false. I'm going to pray for us uh, this evening in light of what we have said. Father God, I am so thankful for who you are and I'm so thankful for what you have done in our lives. Father God, I just want to declare with all of creation, uh, creation that is seen and creation that is unseen, that God, you are holy and worthy of praise. Lord God, you alone are worthy of worship because of your victory on the cross in our place for us and how you overcame the grave. You defeated my biggest enemies, sin and death. And you are at the right hand of the Father. You are so much superior to everything. And Jesus, I wanna pray for anyone here tonight that is struggling to place their faith in you alone. That's kind of caught up in, in thinking that of needing to trust other things. God, we don't need to. We don't need to be thinking about these kind of things because we have you. So Jesus, help us shift our focus onto you and to you alone. Jesus, thank you that when we worship you, we know that there is a, an anthem of praise being sung to you. 
that when we worship you and we sing praises to you, that there are choirs of angels that never stop ceasing in their praise of you. Lord God, thank you for truth. Thank you for the truth of your word. And I pray that you would well in us a desire to know the truth of your word so that we can distinguish between anything that is false. Lord God, we want to be a community that focuses on you, that lives for you, that is centered on you, that delights in the joy that is you, you above all things. We want to thank you for that, Jesus. In your name, amen.